listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. So we are in a, a series right now called All of God. And so far, it's been really incredible. Um, I remember being in Florida and hearing um, John Bevere unpack all of this to us. And I told you in the first message how, how hard it hit all of the pastors in there and how desperate uh, an understanding of the fear of God is in the church. He's written this book called The Awe of God. I highly encourage you to get the book, get it on Audible, do something. Get this into your system some way, shape, or form. Um, and there's also a, a Messenger app. It's called Messenger X. And um, this app right here, if you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, they put content on there, stuff you can read, videos you can watch, constant stuff to help you develop your relationship with Jesus. Okay, it's super important that you continue to develop your relationship with Jesus. And any tool out there that can help you, I'm down with that. You know what I'm saying? And so this is some great material. It's all 100% free, just like on version. You know, people who are watching online right now, they follow along with our service to the version app. You can follow along by going to version and clicking our little link there. Just like version is free, all of this is free. So guys, you can't say you don't have tools to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. They're right here. It's incredible information. You need to jump on that. But this book has really just, it's really hit me a lot. And it's made me think about every time I do anything, whether or not I'm doing that with the fear of God, or whether I'm just doing that out of my own natural living and lifestyle. And, and I, I, here's what I found personally. Like, I'm just going to glass house with you for a minute. There are a lot of areas in my life where I'm walking in the fear of the Lord. There's a lot of areas in my life where I'm not walking in the fear of the Lord. Okay, so don't think that, oh, well, the preacher's got it right, and I don't, and I'm going to hell. No, bro, I'm, I struggle with this too. I'm a human being too. I don't know if y'all knew that, but if you cut me, do I not bleed? Then we go back to Shakespeare. But I, I struggle with this stuff too. This is... This is difficult, and it's life-changing if we can get a hold of it. So today, we're going to talk about trembling at God's word. Now, I don't mean that we open John 3.16, for God so loved, like that's not what I'm talking about. But you know, you can get God's attention with how you act. Did you know that? Okay, so let's think about a time when God's people were, were drifting into a place where they selectively obeyed God. So we're going to go back to Isaiah chapter 66. We're going to read verses 2 through 4. It says this, My hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts who tremble at my word. But those who choose their own ways, delighting in their detestable sins, will not have their offerings accepted. When such people sacrifice a bull, it's no more acceptable than a human sacrifice. Y'all see that? That's insane. With this, with, uh, when they sacrifice a lamb... It's as though as they sacrifice a dog. When they bring an offering of grain, they might as well offer the blood of a pig. When they burn frankincense, as it's as if they've blessed an idol. Now, what's, what's the Lord saying right here? God is literally saying, it doesn't matter how closely you adhere to the prescription of, of sacrifice that I gave in Leviticus. This is exactly, every sacrifice you could make is listed in one of these four sacrifices. So God's saying, it, it doesn't matter if you do everything to a T. If everything is perfect, if you're not being obedient, it's detestable to me. I will send them great trouble, all the things they feared. For when I called, they did not answer. When I spoke, they didn't listen. They deliberately sinned before my very eyes and chose to do what they know I despise. This is, this is God telling Isaiah that these people have tried to have a relationship with God on their own terms. 
Now, I remember when I was young and I was learning and I was coming up in college and stuff like that and going to Bible school, I would look at this stuff and I would think, my goodness, like, why won't these Israelites just be obedient? How hard is that? God says, jump. How high, Jesus? Like, just do the job, right? And I would think, these, these guys are morons. Like, what are they doing? But, but before we hate on the Israelites, every one of us got to look in the mirror and hate on ourselves because we all know that we haven't followed God's law to the T. We have not followed every single thing he's told us to do. So we can't hate on the Israelites until we hate on ourselves a little bit. We do the same exact thing. We try to have a relationship with God on our own terms, and that's when we get mad at God when he doesn't do what we ask him to do. Come on, man. God's telling Isaiah, this path is offensive to me. It's detestable to me. That's what God's saying. Now, I know this isn't the, you know, cutesy, tootsie Jesus version that you probably want, but I can either help you get better or I can just, you know, blow smoke. Like, what do you want? Like, I want to help you. I want to help you get better. Honestly, what could man do to impress God in the first place? In the first chapter of this, the Bible says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Most of us can't even put two sticks of wood together. Go to Colorado and look at how beautiful it is. We're going to Palo Duro Canyon in, the, in July. It's beautiful, y'all. It's a desert. It's something about it. It's beautiful. I can't, I can't make something for God better than that. And even if you could, do, do you think God would really go... I, was, I had Jason all wrong. He's awesome. What, what could I possibly do to impress the guy that said, let there be light? I could barely do algebra. He's worked all that calculus out. But even in the midst of the correction, he straightway gives what's required to enter an authentic relationship with God. He says in verse 2, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts who tremble at my word. I will bless, it means to look, to watch, to regard. It's got the same sense of looking somewhat intensely in a focused way at a specific thing. What is God saying? He's saying, this is the person that I pay close attention to that has these three things. Number one, it's humility. Come on, we all know about humility. Pride is the thing that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Pride towards God is offensive. Pride towards other people is offensive. The only way you can figure that out is, you know anybody that's prideful? You like hanging out around them? What about a contrite heart? You know what contrite means? It, it means remorseful. <laughs> Parents, we know this because when your kids get in trouble, they go, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I hate that. Like, you know it's not right. You know what? There's no remorse inside of them. They're just mad they got caught. They're mad they're getting griped at. They're mad they're getting their phone taken away for 10 minutes. Sorry. But then there's those who tremble at my word. The the one who trembles at God's word always exalts what God says above anything else. Always. Not when it's convenient, but always. Philippians 2.12 says this, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't look at this statement as Paul writing to the Philippians. Look at it as God speaking directly to us. Focus on the words, always obeyed. You know what that means? It's unconditional obedience. 
It's not a God I'll obey if and when it's convenient for me. But God, no matter what you tell me to do, I will do it. Boy, I want you to go to men's group on Tuesday night. I don't want to because they're going to ask me how my life is going. And my life ain't going great. And I'm going to have to tell them about it. Go to men's group. Where's the Well, you know, uh, it's late. I'm going to be working. Go to men's group. I'm tired. Women, go to women's group. Oh, they're just going to play games. No, they're not. It's relationship building that's going to help you when you're in a pickle. But here's what will happen is you will do everything you can to convince yourself not to do what God told you to do. You're just not trembling at his word is the problem. Whether you see him moving in your behalf or don't, or, or you don't, are you still going to do what he says? Well, I can't really see God moving. I don't know if I, I probably shouldn't do that anymore. Well, is that going to be the litmus test of whether or not you see action? What about this? Whether your prayer is answered in your expected time frame? Or how about this? What if it ain't answered? Anybody in here can thank God for some unanswered prayers? Come on, Garth Brooks. I'm telling you right now, I'm so glad there were some prayers that God was like, Nah, bro, you ain't getting that one. Thank God. You know what? Because I wouldn't be here. I don't know where I'd be. Thank the Lord that he knew better what I needed for me more than I did. And wouldn't you rather trust an infinite God who's already seen your beginning and end? Or would you rather trust yourself that is finite? You don't even know what somebody else is thinking, much less what you're thinking. But you can listen to you instead of God? Come on, y'all. That's silly. It's easy to obey God when you're in a conference, a church conference, and a men's conference or a women's conference, and the Holy Spirit is thick there, and oh, you feel the presence of God. You know what you're doing? You're riding the coattails of the relationship that somebody else has with Jesus. Okay, that it's easy to obey God in that situation. Uh, let me put it to context. Was that I was at a conference at Next Level in Florida one year, and one of the the pastors in the group he was having they were having some real struggles. They were up in Nebraska. Um, their house like caught fire or something like that or some crazy stuff, and um, they wanted to raise. Um, pastors Matt and Sarah wanted to raise fifty thousand dollars to help them, you know, get everything sorted. Um, so they brought him up on the platform one night at conference and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. And so however much you give between now and the end of the service is what we're going to give to him. It's over $125,000. All right, they're rocking and rolling now. Church is flourishing. Things are great. That's awesome, right? Let me, let me just ask it to you like this. How many people would have given if they'd have just walked to him and said, hey, will you give me $500? But no, see, we're at a church conference. And the spirit was flowing. And we was ready to write a check, Jesus. Come on, somebody. It's easy to do that. It's easy to do it at church. Come down for prayer at church. That's what you're supposed to do. Why are you not asking for prayer on Thursday? Why not? Why not? Why are you not asking somebody to meet up with you for coffee and say, look, I'm struggling. I'm stressing out right now. I need, I need, we need somebody to put some hands on this and pray for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about this? Is it easy to obey God? In these situations, like when a trusted team member lies about you and you're fired from your position, and God says, I want you to forgive them. Uh, Jesus, uh, I'm going to need you to turn around for just a minute. Because I'm going to lay hands on them, Jesus. What if you're on a business trip, and you and your wife been having some struggles? She's been really critical of you here lately. Um, and there's a group of five or six of y'all, 
and one of them happens to be a really pretty coworker, and you're 500 miles away from home and nobody's going to know. Is it easy to obey Jesus then? What about this? You're at home and, and it's late and you're scrolling through TikTok or Instagram or Facebook. That depends on what age you are. <laughs> Sorry, it's funny. Um, and there is an image and you hover on it a little bit longer than you need to. Is it easy to obey God in those moments? These are incidents when God's presence seems absent. But here's the key. If you tremble at his word, you will obey no matter the circumstance because there is no greater precedence or priority than God's word. But nobody's going to know if I take this money. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's a lie, though, because God will know. The person who fears God always obeys God. The person at the core of his or her being is unmovable from the following foundational truths. I'm going to put these on social media later for you guys, but there are four truths right here. And number one is God is the one who knows what's right for me. I'm going to tell you right now, if, if you trust God to work out your eternity, but you can't trust him to work out now, you've got bigger problems than getting to eternity. Like that, if God really does know what's right for you in eternity, don't you think he knows what's right for you right now? What about the second one? God is pure love and I'm the focus of his love. Now some of y'all, that's hard. Here we are on a Father's Day. Some of y'all, that's hard because you didn't have a father that loved you. So how in the world could the heavenly father love you because my earthly father didn't love me? Well, if you want some evidence and some proof, yeah, go to John 3, 16 like we talked about. But here's, a, here's for me personally a better one. The one I like more is Romans 5, 8. That God showed his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that means? You didn't have to get all squeaky clean and perfect before he poured his love out on you. He loved you at your worst. Don't you think he'll love you at your best? Don't you think he'll love you at any point in between? Well, I said yes to Jesus and he poured his love on me and all that's great, but I've been messing up, man. I've not really been doing good, so he probably doesn't love me anymore. False. You are the focus of his love. What about this one? God will never tell me to do anything that's detrimental. Whatever he says will always end up best. Do you really believe that? Here's why we can't believe that sometimes is because the road he has us on is a little squigglier than we like. And it takes a boat ride and a swimming fest and a bicycle ride and then a 10-mile hike. Oh, and watch out for that pit you're about to fall into, but that's all right. God got a ladder somewhere. You just got to find it after the cave you go through. What? Why can't you take me on a straight line? Because what you need at the end of the road ain't on the straight line. You might find your biggest blessing was in the cave that you would have never gone in because it took some difficulty to get into it. No matter what he says, I gladly choose to obey God. No matter what. Imagine how your life would change for the better if you simply followed these truths. In fact, let's ask this question. What is one thing that would immediately change in your life if you did these four things? We're going to talk today for the rest of our time about five proofs of a person who trembles at God's word. Here's the first one. Obey God immediately. Delayed obedience is not really obedience. It's not. If I have to beat you to get you to do something, you didn't obey. Oh, finally did it. Okay. 
we, we see this in, in a couple of statements that Jesus made. One is in Luke 9, uh, verse 59. It's the first part. It's Jesus telling to a man uh, along the way. He says, come follow me. Imagine if Jesus Christ walked in right now and said, Kale, come follow me. All right. He, he might just say, ooh, I'm going with Jesus. i just let you know, Ashley, just throwing that out there to you. Okay, so <laughs> hopefully he grab your hand. Can, you know. But listen to what the man said back. He said in the same verse, but he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Well, that's not too bad, right? Maybe his daddy was old. Maybe his daddy was sick and he was going to die soon. He's like, well, just give me some time. Or maybe there was a tradition during that time where if the father died while the oldest son was there, the oldest son received double portion of the inheritance because it was his job to become the paterfamilias of the family and to take care of the family. And if he was not there when the father died, the second born would get the double inheritance. So maybe it wasn't about burying his daddy and maybe it was about him getting that money. Jesus, I'd love to follow you, but there's some paper. Like, I need to go, I need, to, I need my money. I need my position, I need my power in the family. There was another situation. This is the second part of it. In Luke 9, 57, Jesus says to the same man, hey, come follow me. And the dude says, um, hey, let me go say goodbye to my family. Now, first, let me go say goodbye. We see the word first and again and and his reason for the delay didn't really fall under the category of sin. It's not sinful to go say goodbye to your family. Hey, bye, family. It's not sinful. But here's the problem is if you look in Luke 10, right after this, Jesus sent out the 70 and they went about two by two performing miracles. They would have been a part of this. Who knows? One of these guys might have actually replaced Judas after Jesus died. Instead of Matthias, it might have been one of these dudes, but we'll never know their name. You know why? Because they didn't obey. One of them had a trash reason. One of them had a decent reason. But look at this. When what is not sin takes precedence over the word of the Lord, it becomes sin. What am I talking about here? You know, I often hear people say, well, you know, God's been really dealing with me about this for a couple of months. And I'm like, they kind of brush it off like it's just the process. I'm like, you better do it. If he's, if he's been dealing with you and telling you to do something and it's taking you a couple of months, you are getting very close to that delayed obedience talk we're talking about. You better get to it. What if Moses delayed when he, uh, uh, when he, when he looked at the burning bush? What if he was like, you know what, there's a burning bush, that's cool, but uh, I really got to get these sheep attended to, you know? Imagine what would have happened. You know, Moses did disobey right there. He got to the burning bush. And the Lord said, go to Egypt, tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. And five times Moses protested. And do you know what the result of Moses' disobedience was? The role of the king and the priest were separated. We only see it reconvened in two situations. One was when David was king. He served in a role as a king and a priest. And the other was when Jesus came. Jesus, for all time, reunited the role of king and priest. That's why fathers, the Bible talks about, you're the kings and priests of your home. The, the ruler and the religious together. Wow. 
And now, why is that so important? Here's why. Because it's really easy to corrupt government. And when you corrupt the kingdom, it's so easy to corrupt the, 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 the religious sector as well. It's so easy to corrupt the priesthood when you corrupt the government. That's exactly what we saw. We saw the kingdom get corrupted in an instant. They didn't even make it past the first king before there was already corruption within the kingdom. And what followed right after that was the priesthood. Completely in the shambles. So, we saw for hundreds of years, the results of Moses' disobedience. Let me ask you a question. What disobedience or what, what, what uh, uh, problem are you dealing with right now in your life that's the result of disobedience from five years ago? If you can think of something, here's what you need to do. You need to do whatever God told you to do five years ago. In fact, in fact it might be that you're not hearing the voice of the Lord right now. It's because you still haven't done what he told you to do five years ago. You want to hear the voice of the Lord right now? Do what he's told you to do. It's obedience. What if Noah hadn't built the ark? We wouldn't have no giraffes. Like, what if Abram delayed in going to Canaan? Um, his dad, speaking of Father's Day, um, his dad was actually told to go to Canaan, and he didn't do it. Now, when I read that, I thought, wait a minute, I don't remember that. Yeah, look at, look at Genesis eleven thirty one. 31. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. You know, what I, you know what I heard the Lord say to me whenever I read this? What you settle for, your children will grow up in. So dads, let me talk to you for a second on Father's Day. What have you settled for that your kids are growing up in? Well, you know, I didn't have a good dad. So that's why I'm sometimes too hard on my kid. You better break the cycle. Because what will happen is you will continue to replicate in your kids what was done to you. Is that addiction really that important to you? That you walk in one day and you see your son or your daughter doing the same addiction. Do you really want your children to endure the same turmoil that you feel because you know you shouldn't be doing what you're doing? So can I just ask, is it worth it? Is it worth it to lay your sins at the cross? I'm confident that if you will lay your sins at the cross, you won't have to sacrifice your sons there. Like, come on, I'm, I'm, dads especially, is so needed in the kingdom. Women have too long carried the weight of spiritual leadership in the home. Boys, let's grow to men. Let's be who God's called us to be. Let's stand up and take the reins of who God's told us. We are, we are supposed to, God told us to do this. You're not to lord over your family. You're not to lord over your wife, but you are to lead spiritually your family. Why aren't you doing it? Now, maybe you are. God bless you. But if you're not, this is an encouragement. I'm not griping and being mean to you. I'm just, I'm encouraging you. Let's do what God's told us to do. Bottom line is this. When we tremble at his word, we obey God immediately. We don't dilly-dally around and, Lord, I'll get to it after I get done what I want to get done. Because if we delay in our obedience to God's word for personal excuses, we communicate to him that his will is secondary in importance in our lives. The second one is this, obey God even if it doesn't make sense. Has the Holy Spirit ever told you to do something that doesn't make sense? Yeah. 
Now, if you've walked with the Lord for any amount of time, you're like, oh, yeah. But let me ask this follow-up question. Did, did that thing make sense after some time? And you look back and you think, oh, that's what you were doing. That's a whole different animal, isn't it? That's the time and experience living. Now, listen, God's not always going to ask you to do something that you don't understand. It doesn't make sense. But sometimes it does happen. I mean, let's, let's look at some of these questions. Did it make sense to put spit into the dirt and put mud on a blind man's eye and, and then tell him to go wash it off? Like, we read this and we think that they were standing right beside the pool. Well, what if they weren't? What if Jesus spits on the ground, which, number one, ew, um, and makes mud, puts it in the dude's eyes, and then tells the blind man to go find a pool. This joker just tap, 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 tap. It ain't no smooth concrete. It's jagged rocks. It's tap, 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 running into stuff. Where the pool at? But, uh, come on, man. Why couldn't Jesus just have said it right then? Maybe the Holy Spirit was speaking something to that man as he was tap, tap, tapping his way to his healing. Did it make sense to pour water into wine containers in the middle of a wedding when what was needed was not water, but wine? Did it make sense for Jesus to start a citywide revival meeting and then go, hey, y'all, I'm going to go chill in the wilderness for 40 days? You're killing your momentum, Jesus. Did it make sense to walk around a towering and fortified wall of a large city quietly for six days and then on the seventh day to shout like crazy? Can you imagine the mental game that the Israelites were playing with the people in Jericho? Let me ask you this. What if on day three, some of the Israelites got sick of walking. Said, forget this, I'm going to sit there. What if they wouldn't have walked, like, this makes no sense. Jacob, but I, I wish Moses was here. This, this uh, Jacob, just Joshua guy, he don't know what he's doing. Well, I wish we had Moses back. I'll tell you what would happen, the walls wouldn't have fallen down, would they? Okay, let me make it a little bit more personal to you. Does it make sense to forgive those who've hurt you, your family, someone close to you? Shouldn't they pay? Does it make sense to love those who hate you? I mean, shouldn't they give you, shouldn't you be able to give them the cold shoulder? Does it make sense to do good to those who have mistreated you? I don't know, shouldn't you get even though? I mean, oh, come on Jesus, close your eyes for five minutes, just five minutes. Jesus, let me, let me send a text message real quick. Does it make sense to honor those who treat you dishonorably? There's a very famous verse. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your paths. Do not lean on your own understanding. The person who fears God does so even when it doesn't make sense. There are times when God tells us to do something that just makes zero sense. Like, I don't see how in the world you're going to make this work out. But I find it interesting that when we stand before the great white throne of judgment, God's not going to ask us about our understanding. He's going to ask us two things. Who do you know? Do you know Jesus? And number two, what did you do? I'm not going to be like, okay, listen, I know you didn't do what I told you to do, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out like, the understanding. Like, can you help me understand what you understood about what I asked you to do? No! He's not going to say that. He's going to say, what did you do? I gave you X amount of years. I gave you 88 years. What did you do with them? Obedience doesn't require your understanding. That's what your kids don't understand. You, think about what your kids. 
Your kids don't get it. Your kids don't get when I say, hey, don't touch that. They don't understand that it's a pot that was just on a hot stove and it's still hot. Because all they see is a pot. Your kids don't understand. So what makes you think that we can understand fully what God's asked us to do sometimes? It's better for us just to obey Him, isn't it? Matthew eleven nineteen says, Wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Sometimes you've got to wait around to understand what God's really doing. The Lord's wisdom far exceeds ours. So the person who fears, and, uh, fears God obeys even when it does not make sense. What about this next one? Obey God even when you don't see a personal benefit. Hmm. You know, one of the things that's really bad about the Western church is that to get believers interested in obedience, benefits have to be emphasized. So, it's like you can even see it in book titles. You know, and, and I think people mean well. But it's like, it's all just an incentive base. And this is really where prosperity gospel got its foundation. Prosperity gospel actually started out with the notion that we want to give people the benefits of their obedience. But what happened is when you give people the benefits of their obedience, they emphasize the, the benefit rather than the obedience. And then we get into false theology like prosperity gospel. Give me a hundred, God will give you a thousand. No, the Bible doesn't say that. Some of the Bible teaches it all. The Bible does promise that if you obey, you'll be blessed. Press down, shaking together, overrunning, make God float into your bosom. He, he says in Deuteronomy 28, you'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you go out, blessed when I come in. But that blessing always doesn't come back in the same form that you planted. You see what I'm saying? You, you might plant time in serving, and what God gives you as a reward is your son coming home. You know what? God might look and say, you know what? The way that you're investing into those kids and that kid's ministry back here, there, I have a specific assignment on your son, and an angel is dispatched right now to stir his heart and bring him home. But that's not the prescription. That's not saying that if you sign up for serving today, God's going to bring your son home. If you think that, you want the benefit more than you want the obedience. You understand what I'm saying? Think about it. Would we come 30 minutes early for a front row seat to hear a message on holiness? Our book title is emphasizing obedience, making the bestsellers list. Has leadership strayed from confrontational truth to accommodate this trend? Have numerous ministers succumb to the pressure of gratifying itching ears with inspiring stories rather than calling God's people to deny themselves and follow Jesus? See what I'm saying? I've said it before here that when you're weak in the pulpit, you're wrong in the pew. I'm not saying pastors that just beat you over the head with the Bible and condemn you. And all, that's, I don't think that that's biblical either. But I do believe that as a pastor, we should present to you the truth of God's word unequivocally, and not be afraid if people are going to like it or not. Now, that doesn't mean to be a jerk about it. And it might mean softening up some edges just so it's not so brutal, but it doesn't mean completely and totally ignoring the power of the message of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's, it's the truth. You have to be careful what you do with a sword. You understand? It's dangerous to be motivated by incentives. 
Psalm 19.11 says that the great is the reward for those who obey God's word. You know, the, the problem is that when we shun God's wisdom, we're actually hurting ourselves. So it's dangerous to be motivated, be motivated by these incentives. And here's why. It's because when the benefit isn't obvious, we don't have the same resolve to obey God's instructions. It, I mean, my goodness, how much, how much easier would obedience be if God gave you a list of, if you will do this, I will give you this. I mean, it'd be like a menu at a restaurant, wouldn't it? If you pay me this, I will give you fajitas. <laughs> See, I jacked y'all up, didn't I? Y'all hungry now, huh? Boudin balls. <laughs> Most likely, it'll be swallowed up by personal interests. So, think of the story of Esther. I don't have time to go through the entire story of Esther. But Esther was a young Jewish girl who ended up becoming the queen of Persia. Now, what really was happening is God put her in that position so that she could stop a genocide. That's exactly what was happening. She was put in that position to stop a genocide. Okay? Now, would it have been easier on Esther if at the very beginning God said, hey, listen, I know it's Persia, I know the king is scary, but um, there's going to be a genocide, and you're the only one that can stop it. And so everything I'm asking you to do I'm doing it specifically because you are the one person that I'm going to use to stop this. Would that have been easier for her? Would it have been easier for you if right before you went through the hardest moment of your life, God told you, hey, listen, you're about to endure some hardships, but I want you to know something. Not only am I going to be with you on the other side, your life is going to be exponentially more fulfilling and satisfying because of what's about to happen. Would you be willing to go through it? Can I tell you something, though? At that moment, it's not faith anymore, is it? But Esther, look in Esther 4, 15 and 16. She says this, Go and gather all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it's against the law, I will go to the king. If I must die, I must die. Just this little side note, if you ever wanted to talk about the place of women in ministry, there's a pretty good one right there. God had a specific thing for Esther to accomplish. And it involved stopping this genocide. And she was afraid of the king. Yeah, of course she was. But you know who she feared more? The Lord. God told her, through Mordecai, by the way, through her uncle. Not even directly. We, we forget sometimes that the Old Testament, they didn't have the infilling of the Holy Spirit like we have. They didn't have the Holy Spirit speaking to them in their head like we have right now. Y'all, we are lucky. We are blessed and highly favored. Come on, somebody. They didn't have that. So she had to go on pure faith that she was doing what God said to do. This is why the fear of the Lord is so crucial. It motivates obedience, whether the reward is obvious or not. Now, you have to be careful because obedience motivated by benefit is really closer to selfishness than holy fear. Now, it doesn't mean there can't be a benefit, okay? It's just like things. God doesn't care if you have things. He just doesn't want the thing to have you. It's okay if you have a nice car. Have a beautiful car. It's okay to have money. Just don't let money have you. Don't let the nice car have you. And in the same way, it's okay if you have benefits. It's okay. Just don't let the benefits have you. Obey God, number four, even if it's painful. Hmm, I don't like pain. You know why? Because it hurts me. 
Jesus is a great example of this. You know, on the night when he was to be betrayed, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying. And we see right here in Matthew 26, 39, Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. I mean, this conflict between obedience and, and self-preservation came out in the version of drops of blood from Jesus' head. That's how, that's how intense that was. So what motivated his level of obedience? Well, we see it right here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered up prayers, pleadings with a loud cry and tears. And listen to this. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. What is that? That's holy fear. That was the awe of God. Jesus had it. And because he had it, he was able to obey even when it was painful. His holy fear empowered him to face and endure what human nature would run from. You know, false religion is going to do everything it can to seek out suffering for the sake of whatever God it pleases. But I want you to know something. Christianity is not about suffering just to suffer to prove God, to prove to God that you're worth it or you're good. That's not what it's about. Jesus wants you to seek the kingdom of God and his, his righteousness. But we have to understand that sometimes suffering happens. Now, why? Why does suffering happen? Why is this happening to me? I don't know. And if I knew, I'd be really rich right now because I could just charge you for the answer and we'd have a church building built like that, wouldn't we? I'd be worried about the benefit at that point. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through. I don't know why Jesus has to just snapped his fingers and make everything work out. I don't know why you're suffering. But here's what the Bible says about it. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. I don't know why you're suffering. If, if I were to give you some hint, it'd be one of two things. Either number one, you're sinning. If you're sinning, don't expect there not to be suffering. Suffering creates separation. So if you're in sin right now, stop. That's the acronym for sin is stop it now. Just stop. Well, that's hard, okay? What's harder, cleaning up the mess from your sin or stopping the sin? Pick your pain. Here we are back to that. So that's one part. Well, the other part might be this. There's something in the suffering that God needs you to have so that you can be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. You know what? It's, it's off topic here, but this is not... A, why my suffering is not a hard concept for me to understand. But this one took a long time for me to understand why I had to suffer and me receive no benefit from it. Now... Let me explain. Whenever I got through the orphan spirit, um, I was in the process of writing the orphan, the killing the orphan spirit out there. I asked the Lord very specifically why he made me go through all of that. Like, why did I have to endure this? And he said, because there are so many orphans, I need somebody who is willing to go in, be an orphan, and to come out on the other side and show people that they can get out of it. What am I saying? that all those years of suffering as an orphan wasn't for me. Right. It was for you. It was for every person that would read that book and hear that story and kill the orphan and become a son and daughter. Yeah. 
That's a harder concept to understand. And I got to be honest with you. If he'd have told me that before I went into it, I don't know that I'd have done it. And it's not that I didn't love you enough. It's just that even in my own frailty, even as a pastor, I find that there are moments in my life where I love me too much. If I'm just really honest with you, I love not suffering too much. And so just like you, I sometimes struggle because obedience with God sometimes means it's going to hurt. Are you willing to hurt to obey? Take it a step further. Are you willing to hurt for someone else's benefit to obey? Last one is obey God to completion. Go back to Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 26, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would have had them, he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Thank Jesus in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, that you obeyed to completion. Because had he not obeyed and had he called for those angels, guess what? None of us would be alive. None of us, and I'm talking spiritually alive, none of us would be saved right now. There would have been no sacrifice. But he obeyed. Obedience to completion was paramount to Jesus. You know, when I read Isaiah 53, I can hardly read that without crying. It's talking about how Jesus was beaten. And and it was talking about what would happen to him. You should go read Isaiah 53 and see if you can make it through without shedding a tear. And here's why it hurts me. It's because when I read it, and when I read that his back was laid open, it was because of my iniquity. When I see the stripes on his back, it was the healing that I was going to need because of the sin of the world. When I read Isaiah 53, I don't get sad because Jesus was broken. I get sad because he was broken and it was my fault. My sin, my greed, my insatiable need to have whatever I want whenever I want it. My refusal to honor contracts and to honor commitments. My my craving addictions. The iniquity in my brain, even that was handed down from generation to generation. All of those things are right there in Isaiah 53. And they come out on the pages in the form of Jesus being ripped and torn and shredded to pieces. My sin. But you know what? Jesus put the cross on his shoulder and did the job. Aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful that we have forgiveness because of him? It wasn't forgiveness that you bought with your blood. He went to the cross. This is what's hard to believe, hard to understand. Is that every sin that would ever be committed, Jesus bore. He became it in that moment. You know, some sins were like, oh, it's a little little white lie. I want you to think of the worst sin you could think of. And Jesus not only bore that, he became it on the cross. Like if that doesn't give you some holy reverence for him, I don't know what will. He obeyed to completion. Obeying him is the least we can do for what he's done for us. It's the absolute least we could do. Don't forget that you were You were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sin. And Jesus breathed life into you. 
Don't overlook that fact. Matthew Henry has this, this quote that just, when I read it this week, and I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff here, uh, but uh, I read this quote this week and it really hit me. He sa- it says, He has no need of us, nor can our services make any addition to his perfections. It becomes us, therefore, to call ourselves unprofitable servants, but to call his service a profitable service. And here it is right here. For God is happy without us, but we are undone without him. Do you know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid that we're happy without him and we're not undone. That's what I'm afraid of. American Christianity specifically, we have so much, y'all. The poorest of poor here are rich by worldly standards. If you want to talk about poor, come with us in January to Rwanda. We'll take you to some poor. People who have nothing. They have a shirt and it's ripped almost in two. A pair of flip-flops that are made out of foam that are so thin they're about the size of a thickness of a piece of paper. And if they lose that shoe or break that shoe, they can't go to school and get an education to get them out of that. That's poor. We don't know poor over here. And because we don't know poor, we don't know what it means to be undone. Because anytime we have a problem, money can get us out of it. We don't need Jesus. Jesus, go help them. We, we cool here. But we don't realize that every decision, look, I know I'm being hard on you right now, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be mean, but But my goodness, we've got to wake up, man. This is a part of what this All of God series is about, is understanding. This is what we felt on that 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 Wednesday night in Florida when I heard all this for the first time. Just my heart gushing because it's like I'm I'm so wealthy. I have so much. And here's, here's what happens is a lot of times I don't have the fear of the Lord. I don't do what he's told me to do all the way. I don't think about the, the obedience more than the benefit. I don't want to obey when it's painful. Come on, am I the only one? At the end of the day, I'm scared that I'm not undone without him. God help us. God help us. And I'm not asking you to be some destitute, broken down thing and... Not, It's not what I'm asking you to do, but I am asking you to do this. When God asks you to do something, do it. Do it. Because consider the alternative. And the alternative is going to be different for every one of you. But I can tell you we all have this in common. The alternative, the one thing that's all in common is we'll be separated from God. You know why? Because God lives in our obedience. That's where he lives. An obedient heart, a humble heart, a contrite spirit he's yet to deny. A heart that trembles at God's word. So I want to simply ask you this. What has God told you to do that you haven't done yet? Now, you might have a million reasons why you hadn't done it. There might be some good reasons. But at the end of the day, it's just idolatry. We see in the Word of God that He goes to extremes to get people into obedience. And sometimes it's voluntary, it's voluntary obedience. And sometimes it's through exile, hardships. Sometimes it's at the tip of a sword, man. Sometimes it's either this or else. But what's it going to take for you? What's it going to take for you to obey? Some of y'all, God has been 
clawing at you to have a relationship with him. And you've tried to fill your life with everything but him. Because you think the moment I give my life over to Jesus, there goes my friends, there goes the things I like to do that's fun. I tell you what, you are, you are an idol worshiper, if that's how it is. That's all it is. It's, all, it's, it's clear-cut garden variety idolatry. Are you going to obey God's word? I, I don't know what God's told you to do, but here's what I want to ask you to do. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? The only reason I ask you to do that is to, to get you to focus on the Lord. What's it going to take for you to be obedient? Maybe it's surrender. Maybe you've got to swallow some pride. Maybe God has been telling you for years to forgive that person that hurt you so bad. And you said, no, God ain't going to do it because you've got pride in your heart. Maybe you need to swallow that pride and forgive. Maybe it's overcoming a fear. My goodness, if I forgive him, what it's going to look like on the other side? Who am I going to be without this anger to hold on to? It might take dealing with the hardship. You know what it might take? It might take us actually valuing what he says over everything else. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit two things. Number one, Holy Spirit, would you show me what's keeping me from doing exactly what God's told me to do? Now, I have a hard time believing that you don't know what God's told you to do. He's told you to do something, and you know what it is. And ask the Holy Spirit to show you why. It's such a hard time doing it. And then number two, and this is the kicker. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road. Holy Spirit, will you give me the power and courage today to obey you to completion? Father, I thank you for your people. God, I thank you for what you're doing in their hearts and lives. God, I thank you that you're a good father. But God, I also thank you that you're a firm father. That you call us to a level of holiness and righteousness. But, but God, you don't leave us to our own devices to get there. You help us. You encourage us. You empower us. My goodness, Jesus, even the faith it takes to believe in you, you've given to us to begin with. So we're asking you today, whatever you've asked us to do, God, show us what's holding us back. And then give us the courage to lay it on the altar today. Give us the courage to do what you told us to do. We want to tremble at your word, God. We commit to doing it today in Jesus' name. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.